I want to win now. I want to give Venables the best chance of early success. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Don't have the full crew tonight. We've had some technical difficulties, had to move some things around. Uh, it's just me, Tyler Burton. Corbin Polson is joining alongside of me. Adam Jaquez. We mentioned technical difficulties. His power is out in Oklahoma City right now. We've had some tough weather uh, move in over the last 24 hours. So just going to be the two of us tonight. Corbin, how are we doing? I just want to ask, are you ready to apologize? Like publicly, for Adam's sake, are you ready to take that step forward and apologize for your actions this week? I don't really know if I can apologize for something I'm not sure I'm guilty of. <laughs> yeah, so for the the our viewing audience, we record every Tuesday night, probably, what, eight out of every ten weeks, unless we have mm-hmm. a schedule conflict, yeah. Well, we get a text yesterday from your Tyler Burton, who uh, is, is able to make it tonight, who said he couldn't record on Tuesday night because it was National Margarita Day and people wanted to go out for margaritas. Fast forward to this evening. Now the storm has rolled in. Adam can't make it. Adam drove back from Dallas yesterday to make it back in time for the podcast recording. But National Margarita Day took precedent. Not to be confused with National uh, Banana Nut Bread Day, which was today. We got past that. So, you know, it's taking a step in the right direction, but... Adam needs to be apologized to publicly on our podcast, in my opinion. Well, I think if anybody would appreciate National Margarita Day, it would be Adam, our fellow podcast <laughs> member. So, uh, no, I, I really didn't even know nothing about that that particular holiday or National Day, whatever you want to call it. But uh, it got brought up in a group chat. The girlfriend wanted to go. And, you know, I think all three of us uh, that are part of this podcast right now, I don't want to shift any blame, but I do kind of want it to be known alive. that yesterday I'm, was friends wanted to go. And now yeah. it's the girlfriend okay. wants to go. Well, okay. So we all know how that goes. Sometimes you got to, <laughs> sometimes you got to take one for the team. Sometimes you got to, got to prioritize things. So, but uh, again, Adam, I'm sorry that the power is out. We wish you were here. I'm sure I'll catch more flack from this, not just in the group text, but uh, in many, many future episodes moving forward. But Corbin, we do have a lot to touch on tonight, a lot of spring sports going on in Oklahoma. But the first thing that I want to touch on um, is college football related. And we'll talk about OU here in just a second, but there was some announcement that, or there was some breaking news that came uh, in the past few days regarding the college football playoff. I know that you know going all the way back to last summer, there was a lot of talk that expansion from four teams to twelve could be something that's you know uh, on the horizon. That could be something that could be coming sooner rather than later. And now it looks like that the expansion talks that decision has been put on hold. And the current four team format that we've been using uh, for the last seven or eight years that's going to remain in effect until twenty twenty six. So kind of an interesting time with with that decision going into effect, uh, knowing that OU and Texas are going to be transitioning the SEC here pretty soon. Yeah, it's just it's a bizarre decision to be made, especially after what you saw the SEC do last year with two teams that were head and shoulders above everybody else. And neither one of those programs are going anywhere, that being Alabama and Georgia, obviously. So it's a bizarre decision to to not move forward with an extended uh, or extension to the playoff model. Um, I get there may be some butthurtness still going on around OU and Texas making the shift that they did, but you're losing money and less teams, less brands are making it into the playoff. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, I, I, I think we're hopeful, obviously, but it doesn't have to change in 2026 either. So 
I think it'll be very curious to see how these next few years go, but it just seems like a foolish decision by everybody not in the SEC conference that would vote against expansion. Well, it's interesting, and you know, Heather Dinich reported that multiple sources confirmed to ESPN that whenever this vote took place on whether to expand from four to twelve, uh, the vote was eight to three uh, in favor of yes. But it does have to be unanimous from what from what I think everything that we've been told and yep. read. Um, and the three people that actually voted against it were the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC conferences. Shocking! All voting <laughs> against expansion. So I think one of the biggest head scratching things for me with all of this is why are those three powerhouse conferences three of the big boys in college football why are they so against this right now um and you know as the as we've kind of learned some more and more details the acc has said that player safety is a huge concern right now you know extending to you know potentially playing 16 or 17 games is of some concern to coaches and athletic directors within that conference and and they believe honestly that there are some more pressing issues right now in college football that need to be addressed ahead of changing how we go about determining who wins the national championship each and every year. So between that, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 kind of coinciding together, uh, really being kind of the you know the the face of the the automatic qualifier, uh, you know receiving their bids to be part of the the college football playoff. Uh, but then also the relationship that they have together with the Rose Bowl and just kind of the the uniqueness of, of the Rose Bowl committee. You know they they put that game. Uh, and the pageantry of that event kind of on a pedestal of its own across college football. So they really don't want to see any changes made towards that. But um, Corbin, correct me if I'm wrong. Personally, I think a huge part of, you know, why those three conferences are afraid of expanding the playoff is because of the SEC, you know, short and sweet. I think that they're afraid of Greg Sankey and that confidence. I think that, or that conference, I think that they believe um, that if you expand this to 12 teams, you're essentially, because of how good the brain of football is in that conference over in the southeast part of this country, you're opening the door to have five or six teams from one conference a part of this playoff each and every year. So I think that the SEC already believes uh, that they're better than everybody, and they think that they they should have a bigger say than everyone else uh, on how things operate across college football. On that sense, I always thought the whole alliance thing was quite bizarre. Because if there's one program that if S, if the SEC and college football decided to, to have a divorce, there's if there's one conference that's going to attach itself to the hip of the SEC, it's the Big Ten. And the Big Ten will 100,000% say adios to the ACC and the Pac-12 if right. that opportunity presented itself. So, and, and this goes back to the whole, I remember when this whole alliance, not alliance, alliance thing was announced and it was like, no documentation was signed. This was an agreement between gentlemen. Uh, you know, basically the same thing that like OU and OSU and the Big 12 and how OU and Texas left, like there was an understanding. That's the same thing that's about to happen here. If anything drastic starts to change is two conferences regarding the ACC and the Pac-12 attach themselves to a power conference in the Big 10. And they're hoping to God that the Big 10 sticks around and it acknowledges and agrees to continue with this alliance. But it's always been a strange one for me. Um, I mean, who would you, if you're the SEC and you're like, if we had one conference that we'd want to come with us, is it the Big Ten or would you actually consider taking the ACC? I think it's the Big Ten. It's got to be right. When you've got I would think so. powerhouses like uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, uh, you, you know, the size of that program. But honestly, you know, thinking about the Big Ten, one of the things that they also mentioned, the leadership when voicing their concerns on, you know, voting not to expand from 4 to 12 they didn't like the the possibility of quarterfinal games not being at neutral site venues and actually those being played at home stadiums for the higher seeds. The Big Ten wasn't 
a huge proponent of that, which I think is pretty interesting in itself. You would think it'd be the other way around. You would think it would be the other way around, especially when they've got Ohio State. You would think that the Big Ten would want the city of Columbus, Ohio, the university or Ohio State University. They would want the extra revenue dollars. They would want more eyes on the premier program of their conference. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a lot. It is very interesting, and and then honestly, one of the things that to me makes this a no brainer. There's so much more money to be made in this. I mean, we talk about how much money, and I know that there's statistics out there that kind of back this up, but having two semifinal games and a national championship, there's so much money that is made in from the the corporate sponsorship side of things that the schools make, the conferences make, the the on-site venues and the local communities, whether it's Dallas, Indianapolis, Miami, so on and so forth. Being able to extend that from four to 12, get three to four more games, as a part of that, you would think that that would just be not good for you know college football fans, but it's good for a lot more teams across the country in college football. They actually feel like they have a realistic chance of maybe competing for a national championship. So to me, the pros far outweigh the cons in this scenario. Well, let's let's eliminate everything off the field. If you're a Big Ten team, wouldn't you want to host a team from the South or a team from the West in the middle of winter in your home stadium? Absolutely. Hell Those yes, players are yeah, look at look at Green Bay, look at Pittsburgh, look at mm-hmm. the Vikings before they built the dome. I mean, that was a huge advantage was for some of these teams that never played in the cold, never played in the snow, going up mm-hmm. to a cold climate and having to battle that. Now, granted, last year what we saw the, the Niners go in and beat the, the pack and everything like that. But for the most part, that's a significant advantage for those northern teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine why college football teams wouldn't want that same advantage by hosting that first initial game in their backyard, in the cold weather that they're used to, in the snow, in the rain, whatever it is, rather than a completely neutral um, element factor of being on the West Coast or indoors or you know in the uh, SEC area. See, I can kind of see that from both from both angles because you know if if I've got you know two of the best teams in college football right now, I, I can understand why some excuse me conferences or coaches would want to play on a neutral side, maybe in a dome type setting to where. No external factors or, you know, weather elements can impact the, you know, the game. But, you know, if, again, at the same time, too, football is played outdoors. You do have to deal with the elements. In the NFL, we see it every postseason. Like you said, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, teams have to travel on the road. If you don't want to go to Big Ten country in the middle of December and play in 10 or 15 degree weather, be a higher seed. But no, I completely agree with you. It, it would be it would be tremendous content. I think it would be a lot of fun to watch a team like you know Florida traveling to Michigan, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on January fourth or something to to play in a college football semifinal or quarterfinal game. It would be a lot of fun. But um, as far as how this impacts the team here at home, right here in Norman, Oklahoma, we mentioned OU and Texas. They are going to be transitioning to the SEC in the you know the near distant future, twenty twenty three. We're not sure sounds like it might be more likely it's going to be 2025 or 2026. So, um, Corbin, this is something that we kind of put on Twitter. Should OU now be in a hurry to go to the SEC now that college football playoff expansion is on hold for the time being? Uh, and we put this out there, and 70% of our of our listeners and our Twitter followers said that, yes, uh, OU should still be in a hurry to go to the SEC. So, 55, wrong poll, 55% of the okay. votes there. So still a majority believe that even yeah. though playoff expansion is on hold right now, still make that transition to the SEC. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. There's, again, we're, we're kind of hitting both sides of the fence on both these arguments. There are pros and cons to staying. There are pros and cons to leaving. And the, yeah. the two that really stick out to me is you have if you stay in the Big 12, it's, it's pretty obvious you have a better chance to make the playoff year in and year out. 
but you're taking less money than what we saw Vanderbilt make in the SEC last year. <laughs> um, and on the contrary, you can go get more money in the SEC, start to play catch up with facilities, with staff, with recruiting efforts that the SEC is doing currently with those new financial um, you know, budgets coming in. But you're probably also not making the playoff, uh, you know, year one, two, maybe even three moving forward, which I think leads us to the other poll you were talking about. And we asked our audience if our if they were confident in OU making a four-team playoff in the years 23 to, through 25, if they are in the SEC. And almost 70% of those votes are coming in with Sooner fans being confident that they would. And I don't know about you, Tyler, but I'm not there at all. If we shift the SEC, I think it's going to be a few years before we're back in contention uh, talking about a playoff with the likes of Alabama, Georgia, LSU. I know Auburn's kind of in a weird state right now, but there's just so much more competition to work through yeah. in that side of uh, – in that conference. I'm just – my confidence is not there that they're going to be relevant. Uh, I won't say relevant, but they won't be a powerhouse like we've seen and gotten used to over the past six, seven years in the Big 12 in the SEC conference. Well, I think, you know, for Oklahoma, it depends entirely on what you prioritize the most right now. I mean, if it's about winning and making the playoff right now, since there are only four teams, your chances are far greater by staying in the Big 12 as long as possible that you're going to be able to win your conference and secure a berth uh, in one of those semifinal matchups. And like you said, if it's about money, resources, excitement for your fan base and more momentum behind your program, I think it is transitioning over to the SEC. You know, we've talked about it time and time again over the last month or two. Look at OU's home schedule for 2022. It's it's a joke. UTEP, Kent State, Kansas State, Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Not very good for one of the best programs in all of college football uh, in a Power 5 conference. Yes, Baylor and Oklahoma State, probably going to be one of the top you know three to four teams in the Big 12 next year. Chances are one of those two teams maybe comes in uh, to Norman, you know, eight and two or, you know, maybe like a seven and three type thing where it's a top 25 matchup. But at the end of the day, let's be honest. Baylor is still Baylor. OSU is still OSU. I would much more, as an Oklahoma fan, be excited about the prospect of an Ole Miss or a Texas A&M or a Georgia coming to Norman. So while I agree that you know OU, should they go to the SEC in 2023 or should they hold off to 2026? Me right now, I'm kind of in the in the boat of wanting to wait a little bit longer just because even though I think that there is so much turmoil over right now, there's so much newness at the University of Oklahoma right now. Lincoln Riley's gone. Venables is here. Dylan Gabriel's now the starting quarterback. It's a completely different staff from top to bottom. Give Venables and this staff the next two to three years to be able to build this roster back up. Venables knows from his time at Clemson what it takes not just to you know compete against the SEC, but what it takes to win a national championship over an SEC team. So give him two to three years to be able to build this roster up, especially in the trenches. And I think OU will be, especially in terms of immediate success, I think OU would be in better shape going into the SEC in 2025 as opposed to 2023. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you there. And it'd be hard to, exactly for what you're saying, the immediate success factor is to stay put. Now, my gut says is there's probably a middle ground in there in 2024, 2025. I think that's probably when we leave. I think right. everybody will want the breakup to be over. Um, but, yeah, if, if I had a, my choice at the moment, even with the poor home schedule, and I can say that a little bit because I'm in Colorado. I'm not making you know every <laughs> single home game like I used to, so there's a benefit to it. But, um, no, I, I want to win now. I want to give Venables the best chance of early success because that that can do nothing but help recruiting as we head into the SEC. It's a success now. And so uh, it gives him time to kind of prove, prove himself, prove the staff, um, and hopefully that will you know 
provide good omens moving forward. Do you think other programs, whether it be softball, men's and women's basketball, do you think that other programs with regards to funding, OU going to the SEC a little bit sooner than, you know, might be best for the football program simply because, you know, we need the money for the softball stadium. There's talks that are ramping back up about OU building a new basketball arena uh, on or off campus. So you almost have to wonder if OU might choose to make that decision sooner rather than later simply because they need that revenue bump and and more money from being a part of that conference, which could help fund some other projects um, through other programs within the athletic department. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, Corbin, what is going on with OU softball right now? I I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. This is this is Nick Saban esque. This is Bill Belichick esque. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to describe what Patty Gasso's team's doing right now. Yeah, I mean, just incredible. And even though the competition necessarily hasn't necessarily been all that great outside of the UCLA game, they're doing to bad teams what great teams do to bad teams. Um, and so, not only on. Just a, a team-wide outlook. I mean, just crushing teams left and right. Uh, also on a personal level. And the big highlight here is Jocelyn Allo tying Lauren Chamberlain's record at 95 career home runs. Uh, thanks to our guy, Adam, uh, who isn't here today. Thanks to Tyler. Uh, you know, Lauren, Lauren did do this in what sounds like, if our numbers are correct, about 50 less games than what Lauren is doing or than, uh, than what Jocelyn Allo is doing, which is crazy to consider. But I think the question before we get into kind of what's next for this group as far as schedule, which one of these two, or maybe if there's somebody I'm not thinking of at the moment, one of these two has to be considered the best player in OU softball history, right? And if so, who are you taking? It's so hard because, yes, even though Jocelyn, um, she's going to break the record, she's going to sit atop the standings one spot ahead of Lauren Chamberlain, I think that you do kind of have to factor in the fact that Lauren got to 95 in what was it 50 or 60 fewer games. So you're talking about probably 150 to 175 less plate appearances than what Jocelyn Allo had to get to this record. So um, I I think a lot of it depends probably on what this team does collectively as a whole this year. Um, If OU goes out and wins another national championship, that's back to back for Jocelyn. Um, I I could see you could make a really good compelling case for both. Let me just put it that way. I I really don't want to pick two. Uh, I would like to have both of them in my lineup each and every day. Chances are uh, when kind of the, uh, you know, whether it's like the the all-century teams are coming out for, you know, collegiate softball, chances are those are three and four in your lineup uh, across the board. So, uh, but, you know, Corbin, as impressive as what, you know, Jocelyn has been doing and Tiara Jennings has been doing at the plate, the pitching staff this year this year has just been phenomenal. I mean, we're talking about a team that has outscored their opponents 95-2 to over the first 10 games of the season. And those two runs that OU has given up have both been unearned. So we're talking about 10 games in which the pitching staff has not given up a run uh, that, that was that they were responsible for. So uh, Jordy Ball, Nicole May have been lights out, Hope Trotwine. Uh, she threw her fourth career no-hitter over the weekend against McNeese State. It's nice when you've got not just one pitcher that you can rely on, but you've got three that Patty feels like she can throw out there at any time and feel like it gives her chance, her team a chance to, to, to win, really. Um, and then Corbin, I, I forget who posted on Twitter. I think it was Seth Oliveris, but just going through some of the categories right now uh, across college softball that this OU softball team is leading in right now. OU leads the country right now in total home runs, team ERA, runs scored per game, total runs allowed, shutouts, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and a team batting average of .397. That's simply unheard of 
that you have an entire lineup from one through nine basically batting 400 in college softball right now. So extremely, impre- extremely impressive what Patty Gasso's squad has done, and we'll see if they can c- continue to build on that um, in California this weekend. Yeah, talking about California, so just to highlight uh, kind of the upcoming schedule. So Friday, um, they've got uh, Cal State Fullerton, I believe, and Long Beach State. Saturday, a big day. you got Arizona and Tennessee. Sunday is, uh, is the sole game against Utah. I'm looking at the rankings here right now as far as the the most up-to-date, which, uh, just to be totally frank, is not up-to-date. Arizona is ranked ninth. Tennessee is ranked 18th. Um, Both those teams and their records have not been updated since last weekend's tournaments. So I would imagine there's some shuffling around there. Speaking of shuffling, I mentioned on the podcast last week how this could be a tough year for the Big 12 and the Sooners to pull out. Well, Mm -hmm. OSU and Texas – had garbage weekend just to be fully honest uh osu kind of went i think three and two or two and three uh with some some decent wins but decent losses and texas uh, if i'm looking at their schedule correctly went oh and five in last weekend's tournament right. had some quality losses in there but oh and five's really bad for those of you yeah. keeping track at home so uh again looks like the big 12 is uh, is the sooners to lose um granted we want to you know go be very clear Besides UCLA, they have not necessarily played a team with a pulse. Right. But they're doing to those teams what great teams do. And um, all that being said, you know, I, th- I think Arizona and Tennessee will be nice little tests. But mm-hmm. if this team is who we think they are, then shouldn't have any issues on Saturday. Well, and like you said, I mean, the the opponents that they have on their schedule, it's not Oklahoma's fault how talented they are. I mean, Patty builds right. a schedule year in and year out. She likes to test this team in the non-conference. They'll get a little, uh, a little bit more of a taste uh, of that better competition this weekend. But like you said, this team's executing. No matter who they're playing, no matter who the other pitcher is in the in the opposing, uh, you know, team circle, OU's gone out there and executed, and they've done so uh, in a ninety-five to two. Uh, or, you know, run advantage over the first 10 games of the season. So uh, moving from one diamond over to another diamond at L. Dell Mitchell Park, that is the OU baseball squad uh, that actually got their season underway this past weekend down in Arlington at Globe Life Field, home of the Texas Rangers. Uh, and pretty good showing for Skip Johnson's group over the first three games of the season. Got off to a really good start uh, last Friday night with a big-time win, uh, 3-0 over Auburn. Auburn, a really good SEC team. Um College baseball this year, Auburn's going to be kind of a team to reckon with. I think that they have a chance to make some noise, especially in the regular season in that conference. Uh, fast forward to Saturday, kind of a tough, kind of a tough showing for OU's pitching staff. Uh, they fell fourteen to four against Arizona. Arizona playing really, really good baseball. I think there's a lot of experts and analysts that think that Arizona has a chance to be one of those uh, eight teams uh, in Omaha for the College World Series this year. But they have bounced back in nice fashion over the last two to three days with a 6-1 to victory over Michigan uh, and then a nice one at home yesterday, 6-2 to over Wichita State. So uh, 3-1 and start, really good for Skip Johnson's crew, um, and they need to go 3-0 against Northwestern State this weekend. Uh, that game was actually supposed – those games were actually supposed to be played in Norman, but due to the weather that we're having right now, those are going to be taking place back at Globe Life Field in Arlington this weekend. So you need to sweep that series, put OU to 6-1, and one, um, and we'll see what uh, Skip Johnson's crew can do going into week two of the year. Any any confidence uh, about baseball heading in after, after this initial weekend? To me, it's not. I think I've seen this uh, time and time again where this baseball team gets off to a strong start and then just kind of fades as the season goes along. You feel any different about this one? I think that's kind of been the theme over the last few years. You know, 
we start off strong, but once we get into conference play, we kind of fall off towards varying the season. That's just kind of a testament, I think. Uh, maybe not to some shortcomings that have happened within OU, not playing as well once you get into the meteor schedule. Uh, but just like in basketball with the Big 12, Big 12 baseball is no slouch either. It's probably the second best baseball conference in America right now. OU is going to be tested week in and week out once conference play does roll around. So uh, we'll, we'll see what the Sooners can do um, if the bats can come alive. That's been one thing that's really kind of impacted this baseball program over the last five years is once the pitching gets better, once you start playing those Texases, the TCUs, Tex, Oklahoma States of the world, the bats have kind of gone cold for Oklahoma. So we'll see if we can get that back on track uh, this year. And one team that has not been able to get it back on track is, uh, is men's basketball. Corbin, what's going on with Porter Moser's team? You know, it's always interesting. I haven't, I didn't watch the tech game, but I was following up with it on Twitter. And uh, you always know how the game's going when, when they stop tweeting the score. Yeah, and uh, the the last score they tweeted before the final was the halftime score, and I kept waiting for a score update, and it was, you know, so and so hits a three, warming up, but they'd never tweet a score, and I checked on ESPN, it was like a twenty five point lead for Tech, so it's just kind of been that uh, same song and verse the past few weeks for this program. Um, I I'm still a believer in in, in Porter Mosier, but um, this is probably the worst team we've had in in quite some time. Uh, it's it's similar in a sense of it reminds me of the second half of like Trey Young's year um, where it just felt like the wheels just are falling off. <laughs> now, granted, Trey Young's team did enough uh, in the early half of that season to make it into the tournament and to, uh, you know, give themselves a chance at a run. But I just don't think that's the case for this program uh, at the moment and this team at the moment. I don't think this is um, by any stretch of the imagination now is an NCAA tournament team, and it may not even be an NIT team. Um, So it'll be very interesting to kind of see how these next few games come out. Obviously losing Elijah Harkless for the remainder of the season is a huge loss. He'll be back next year, but, you know, similar to what Adam mentioned last, last week, there's quite a few of these guys that are eligible to come back, but do we want them all back? Is it, is it, the best case for this program for the majority of this uh, this roster to be back in Norman next year, and I'm I'm not sure. I think that from a personnel standpoint, Porter or Porter Moser's got some kind of tough decisions to make because yes, they still do have that eligibility left. But do you kind of want to say, hey, yeah. you know, we appreciate everything that you've done here, but I really don't see you playing or you know contributing in a big way, getting Oklahoma basketball back to a point where you know, they're, they're more competitive than just, you know, a 500, uh, 500 basketball squad. So 14 to 14 on the year, Corbin, the biggest, biggest thing for me that, that is, you know, it kind of feels like it's been a common theme. We're four and 11 in big 12 play right now, but we're two and eight away from the Lloyd Noble center. This team has a really, really tough, uh, it's a really tough ask for them to go on the road and try to win a basketball game, which is something that you have to do, you know, if you want to compete for the conference championship, but just to compete, to make it into the March Madness tournament. Now, this is a 500 squad team. I kind of feel like over the last, you know, three to four weeks, we've been talking about the fact that, yes, the schedule is getting a lot more difficult, but we have those three to four really good top 15, top 20 non-conference wins to kind of, you know, uh, you know, or, you know, however you want to say it, you know, we can kind of lean on that for lack of a better word, kind of had a, uh, uh, a brain fart there, but no, they've lost four in a row. We'll see if they can get it back on track. Um, it was just tough to watch last night. Only scoring 44 yeah. points in, in two halves of basketball. Um, they finish it up over the next uh, over the next two weeks. At Oklahoma State in Norman this Saturday. West Virginia next Tuesday night in Norman. 
Um, and then you go on the road to Kansas State, and you know as well as anybody, Corbin, Manhattan hasn't been very friendly to Oklahoma um, as the road team, but we'll see what we can do. Do you give this team any chance of making the tournament? Do they have to go 3-0? I think they have to go 3-0 and then some, if I had to guess. I think win, you probably have to go 3-0 and and win two. In the conference in the, tournament? In the conference, maybe yeah. more, because then at least obviously you're adding a loss to that as well. But, yeah, I just – I don't see it. Um, you, you, what is what's there to give us confidence in that? And there's there's not much. And I, I hate to ask this question. You know, we, we've lost four in a row. We're a five hundred, uh, you know, a five hundred record basketball team right now. We've lost Elijah Harkless for the rest of the year. Has your opinion of Porter Moser changed over the last six weeks or so? No, not really. Um, okay. I think, and hopefully we don't have this kind of start with Venables at the helm. But I, I think we need a few years to really mm-hmm. see what Porter can do. Um, and yes, he took Loyola to like the final four and he had some great runs there, but it was also, if I'm looking at his record correctly, it was also kind of a tough start at Loyola when he started mm-hmm. there as well. Yep. And he turned the program around, um, fingers crossed. He can do the same thing here, but he's got to get his guys in there. And just to be fully blunt, we don't have enough scores on this basketball team. It's like you mentioned, we scored 44 points, uh, in two halves of basketball. That's, that's hard to do to score that few points. And so, uh, I think Harkless, again, him being out for the season, that's a, a big contributor to this team. Um, and hopefully over the offseason, some of these younger guys can develop. But most importantly, we need to bring in some guys who can score the basketball in the offseason. That's, that's got to be step number one and turn this thing around. Well, another basketball team that shares the Lloyd Noble Center, uh, another team that has kind of had some uh, some late season struggles over the last one to two weeks, that is the OU women's basketball team. Uh, last week's episode, we talked about how important it was to close out the year strong. They had a tough loss to Texas in Austin the previous Saturday. Uh, before, you had Texas Tech coming to Norman, a team that was 2-10 and in conference play. You would have one that you, as an OU fan, felt pretty good about. That was one that OU should be able to take care of business. And Texas Tech comes into Norman and knocks OU off and, you know, basically controlled that game from start to finish. And then OU goes on the road to Ames this past Saturday and gets, uh, gets beat pretty good uh, by the Cyclones. So now they've lost three in a row going into tonight's game against TCU, uh, which is currently in progress if it hasn't gone final already. Last Ball night, game, 92-57 victory. Okay, really good bounce back win for Jenny Baranchek's yeah. team. So. That puts them up to 21-7 and seven on the year, 10-5 and five in the Big 12. Um, last I checked, going into this game, they were currently sitting in a tie for fourth in the Big 12 standing. So you got to finish, just like the men's team, you've got to finish this uh, th- this last week and a half strong. Um, OU has uh, Kansas State at home, Oklahoma State in Stillwater before closing it out with senior night against Kansas in the LNC. So um, big final stretch coming up for both basketball teams, Jenny Baranchek's group. Uh, kind of got got back on track last night. That's a really nice win against TCU. Anytime you get a win is impressive in conference play, but you go up there and you win by 30-plus, uh, that's a really good bounce-back statement for Jenny's squad. So um, I don't know how you feel about it, Tyler, but I don't mind a couple losses late in the season. Mm-hmm. They've got a few more games to try to like right the ship, yep. but this team, nobody expected this team to be there. Mm-hmm. Let's get them off their high horses a little bit, turn right. the season back around into a positive direction to end the year, and then head into conference uh, tournament, and obviously the NCAA tournament on a high note. I don't mind a few losses. Like Maybe it's a, a positive, healthy wake-up call for the team. Hey, you're not hot shit all the time. Like. Yep take a couple losses, learn from it, bounce back, and then be playing your best basketball at the right time. And granted, it was TCU, and Tyler, I swear there were 30 people in that stadium. Um, But going in there and and dominating game, regardless of opponent, that's what you're supposed to do. 
I'm really interested to see for the game this weekend against Kansas State. This will be the first time that OU has played Kansas State since they gave up six, I believe it was 61 points to the center for Kansas State, setting an NCAA women's basketball record for points scored. So we'll see if OU can finish the year out strong. Um, Two and one would be ideal. Three and oh would be great. A lot of momentum going into the Big 12 Conference Tournament. Um, But no, this has been a really, really good season. Expectations have been blown out of the water. Uh, with what Jenny Baranchek's team has done this season. So we'll see if they can finish the year strong uh, and hopefully put together a pretty deep run going into March Madness. So, Corbin, I know it was just the two of us tonight. Again, apologize. Adam, hope you're doing well sitting in the dark. Hope it's not too cold for you, buddy. We're thinking of you. Uh, But we'll have him back next week. Corbin, you got anything else before we get out of here? And I got nothing. It's a lull. Teams are playing, but games don't mean much right now in a lot of uh, of the sports right now. So – We'll continue to uh, find some new segments, but this week kind of threw us for a loop with, uh, you know, National Margarita Day, weather coming in, all kinds of just crazy things you can't avoid. Uh, So it happens from time to time. Yeah, well, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, NFL drafts coming up, pro days coming up, spring football is going to get underway here in just a second, men's and women's gymnastics, uh, both going to get things ramped up as we get towards the end of the season, postseason play is coming up. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. Um, as always, if you made it this far, be sure to go to Twitter. Uh, give us a follow at the Mainline Pod one uh, And then always follow us uh, on all your platforms that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple, Spotify, um, wherever you get your podcasts on a daily basis. Give us a five-star review. Like and subscribe. Um, and guys, that's going to do it for us. For Corbin Polson, Tyler Burton, Adam Jaquez is here uh, in spirit. He'll be back with us next week on another episode of the Mainline Podcast. <laughs>